Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Jill McCabe about making wise decisions as a leader. Jill McCabe, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you very much, Jonathan. So happy to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, Technical difficulties aside, we are now up and running and everything seems to be working properly. I'm thrilled to have the chance to talk with you about effective decision making and how we can make wiser decisions as a leader. I I don't think there's any shortage of need for, for wise decision making in today's complex world. Uh, it's, it's incredibly complex, messy, uncertain, um, with constant disruption. And so we're, we're, we just have, con- we're constantly being bombarded with, with data and information and having to try to figure out how to process it all and how to you know, make a good decision based on that. And, and so we're going to dive into this and, and really try to explore what we can do to be more effective and how we go about making decisions within our teams, within our organizations. As we get started, I wanted to share Jill's bio with everybody. Jill McCabe, best-selling author and celebrated coach in business strategic planning and the science of high performance and change, uh, is a lifelong service-based entrepreneur and student of social science, and she has dedicated her career to the science of turning dreams into reality. Jill's best-selling book, It's Go Time, helps professionals, creatives, and expertise-based entrepreneurs who are tired of feeling undervalued learn how to start and scale businesses that will make them feel alive and inspired. She wrote, it's go time because there wasn't a clear business model for expertise-based entrepreneurs who wanted to create time for life. Jill has helped generate over $100 million for her clients, impacting thousands of people worldwide by doing business that uplifts us in creating emotional and financial prosperity. Established in 2018, Jill launched Boom You, your go-to source for starting and scaling your business to thrive in an online economy. I think that's all wonderful, an amazing background, and it was fun chatting with you in the pre-interview as well, just getting to know you a little bit. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or context before we dive on in further? Yeah, thanks so much. I think um, I will just share one thing since this podcast, Human Capital, is all about you know uh, personal, professional, and organizational excellence. And that was my background. So I will focus on the fact that prior to doing what I'm doing now, uh, I did executive development for um, an Shulik executive school, which is worldwide. And so I have a lot of experience, not just in entrepreneurship, but in organizations teaching high performance tools. Yeah, that's wonderful. And high performance systems is just really an essential um, thing to be focusing on in, in the new world of work, uh, and also much of what you've been doing in terms of the transition into online 
um, platforms and work and those sorts of things in terms of development is is clearly very very timely. It preceded uh, the the uh, pandemic and yeah. the 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 pivot that everyone had to make. Uh, and now we're you know we're twenty plus months in, and I think we're more comfortable with it now than we were before. But clearly, we're still trying to figure all of this out, and that's just been part of the puzzle that we've been trying to put together, you know, during this pandemic time and all the uncertainty as we try to make just so many decisions uh, and many of things we probably had many people and many organizations had never even thought about before. Absolutely, I've been really called to start talking about this model of decision-making as I see, I mean, nothing short of anguish um, globally with really questioning our, our home lives, our professional lives, uh, the very way that we live. I mean, I live in British Columbia, Canada, and we've just been over the last couple of days impacted by unbelievable amounts of rain, mudslide, closed roads. Uh, you know, we're at risk of supply chain, serious supply chain problems. Stuff is happening in this world and that might be random, but I, we don't actually have to be random in how we respond. And so thank you for speaking to me about this today, because this is work I really yeah. want to get out there. Yeah. And I like that framing. We don't need to be random in how we respond. That is an excellent, excellent point. And so let's really um, jump off there. You've talked about high performance systems, high performance executives and entrepreneurs. I, I, in the introduction, I talked a little bit about making wise decisions. Why did you get into this space? And really why, you know, piggybacking off, off you what, what you just said, how do we move into not being so reactive, but more proactive in making wise decisions for our organizations. I've, I've come to believe that we should be taught how to make decisions as children because there's really good process. But what the sort of the pivotal moment was back when I was consulting and I was consulting for like why decision-making, why I really thought like, what, you know, because first of all, how many people are going, what should I do? What's next? You know, should I stay? Should I go? You know, whether it's a job or a partnership or whatever that might be, people are plagued with that question. But the moment that made me realize I had to study decision-making and create a path that led to predictably wise decisions was I was working for a client in the hospitality industry, in the restaurant industry, who now has um, like LA, Canada, you know, incredible, like award-winning brand. And I was brought on to build this, um, build a literally a high, you know, this business for her. And I had to build this restaurant from the ground up. We got a world-class chef, blah, you know, it was da, 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 all this stuff. And I am concerned with building the building, assembling a world-class team, implementing operating systems, training the team. And at some point, you know, the, the owner and the chef started arguing about the octopus. Okay. And, and she's like, I want octopus with tomato sauce. And he's like, I want octopus with olive oil. Now he's like an, a world renowned chef that was really hard to get. And she's a world renowned restaurateur, especially now, uh, less so then, but definitely now. And they fought about this for about five or six months. And I was eating octopus like every day. And I swim with octopus and I don't even like octopus that much. And I'm thinking they pay me a lot of money as a consultant. And I don't think they realize that like, I think I've made like close to 10,000 bucks. You know, people ask me, should I, you know, which octopus? And I'm thinking, 
how can we not come to a path? And that's actually what made me, and I know there's a lot more serious decisions than what octopus, but not to them at that point. And it was amazing how we stuck on that silly thing for such a long time. And that actually led me to start digging into the science of decision-making. Yeah. And well, I think, I think it's helpful to, to sometimes talk about quote unquote, silly kinds of decisions, low stakes decisions, because it's a good way to to pull things apart. And if we, if we have such a challenge and, and so much, so many problems and trying to make seemingly innocuous, simple little decisions, clearly it's going to be a huge problem when people's lives and livelihoods, their families, their careers are at stake. When, you know, we have all these huge wide and widely impacting um, types of decisions that have to be made and we're responsible for those decisions. It, you know, decision paralysis is a real thing. Uh, so many people just get bogged down in it and then you can't move forward. Uh, and so making any decision, let alone a wise decision when we're dealing with so much complexity can just really, really be a, ta- a challenge. So what are, are some of those things that you've seen in the science of decision-making that will help us as we strive to make better informed, wiser decisions? If it's okay with you, I'm going to mention a couple of things that I learned because what shocked me first was the mistakes that we make in decision-making and that really by and large, culturally, we're making, we're using poor process to make decisions. Um, And I talk about like, there's four, I I teach on decision-making, there's four big culprits. Um, there's inferior questions. We actually start with inferior questions and the quality of our question will lead to the quality of our answer. Um, There's lurking, there's biases. We've all heard of biases. I believe people listening to human capital innovation, probably very familiar with, you know, preconceived biases and there's um, ego and emotion and lack of alignment. So I I'll, I'll speak to those a little, if that sounds fun. Okay. So I was really surprised, but if, if, if those of you listening, you know, if you're thinking like, let's just take any decision that you've got right now, you know, let's just say any big decision, whether it's your, about your employment, something personal, where you want to live. Um, think about how you've asked that question. I was really surprised to learn that yes or no questions, right? Should I do this or not? Okay. Should I do this or not lead to 50% failure in outcomes. So just if you have asked yourself a question, hey, should I do this or not? The yeah, the the take it or leave it kind of thing is really bad. Um, so and it's it, really just the, that black and white thinking with no nuance. Is that the issue? It's not seeing possibility. And I'll, I'll share a tool with, with the listeners um, at the end to, to help you not do that. But it's, it's huge. And right away, you don't want to do that. The other question, this or that, you know, so this job or that job or stay with my company or start a business with Jill. Okay, just kidding, guys. Um, you know, what we are going to do, this or that also leads to uh, only about 33% of decisions made when you start with the question, this or that will work. Okay. So the replacement to something like that is simply to begin a question with what, right? And sort of the problem with where the question arises from actually it comes a little bit later. So we'll come, we'll come back to this question thing. I'll give you some good questions in a moment. Biases. Okay. Biases. There's tons of them. You can look them up online. Really good article somewhere. 22 biases that lead to bad decisions. I, you know, Google it's so good. Um, but I really, I'll mention a couple that are really common. Um, and one that's actually 
I'm going to ruin pros and cons for everybody here. Just like, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> if you need pros and cons, you might not want to keep listening because it's so bad. So anchoring. Anchoring, I just give an example of two, you know, but anchoring is something, you know, um, that the first time we're overly reliant on the first information we hear. So sometimes we just don't have a broad enough perspective when we're making decisions. We just haven't seen enough options. And um, getting to yes, very famous book on negotiation teaches how, you know, anchoring in a car sale is like whoever says the price for you always want to say the price first, because if you, the higher the price or the lower the price, the final pl- price will be closest to the first price stated. But this is actually true in a lot of a lot of things. If we hear it first, somehow we believe it more. Um, confirmation bias is is the big one. I could talk about so many, but confirmation bias, I really want to really want to impress upon you as a problem. Um, it's, it's that's one of my favorite bad biases as well, by the way. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, then you speak to it. I would love that. Oh, well, no, I mean, go for it. And I'll chime in. Okay. But but yeah, it, it's pervasive. It, you know, and it connects with this anchoring bias, of course. Um, but the but the bottom line is with confirmation bias that that we just look for data and information that supports you know what we already think uh, in the decision we already want to make, rather than actually trying to understand what's out there to to make better informed decisions. It's right. it's a huge problem, and it tends to bleed into relationships. It bleeds into our various ideologies and dogmas that we might have, whether it be religious, social, economic, whatever. Right. Um, and, and it, it's a, cha- it's a challenge that we need to try to overcome. It's super, super common. Like pretty much everyone has to deal with it. And so it's not something we should be like embarrassed about. It's just to realize that, yeah, we, we all have it and we have to be able to deal with it. Wow. Awesome. That's amazing. And yeah what he said. So that's exactly right. And so what's happening is, I mean, I think we're, you know, now that you've brought it to such a good level, you know, we're, we're in a world that's reinforcing our confirmation bias. So it becomes scarier by the moment because we're being targeted, pinpointed, advertised to based on what we already like, because it's so effective. The problem with that in terms of making a wise decision is that, you don't want the rest of your life to only be as exciting or possible as your former intelligence. But what it's really doing is just, we're just, we're closing off the opportunity to learn more, understand more uh, when we do this. And of course, get to that realm where we always want to get to that. I don't know what I don't know place. So thank you, Jonathan, for saying all that, because it helps me keep that conversation alive. And so this is huge. And the confirmation bias is exactly why pros don't pros and cons don't work. I was really, really shocked to learn that the pros and cons tool that I used to use all the time and I, I, I don't use right now, what that tool is really good for is illustrating your confirmation bias. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, p- people do pro, pros and cons lists when they feel like they, they aren't sure what they should do and they're trying to think through it. And self-reflection is the key. So if there's a benefit to doing a pros and cons list is that you're just practicing self-reflection, um, but going through the list itself. And the, and the problem is we so often, even if we, we're not comfortable admitting what we want to choose, a lot of times we still have at least subconsciously a desire to go one way or the other, uh, or we lean one way or the other. And so inevitably, you know, as we start to put together our list, 
few people are actually going to change their mind <laughs> as they're going through the list making process. They're just going to try to reinforce deep down what they really want already. Yes. And so that's okay if that's the goal, right? What do I really already want? You'll discover that doing pros and cons, but you won't, you won't make the wisest decision. And that's been proven by decades of research. So then next ego and emotion. Okay. There is, uh, I'm, I, you know, who knows, I'm sure you know about this, um, Jonathan, and maybe you've talked about it on the show before, but, uh, it's interesting that people with lower states of emotional connection make consistently better decisions. So if you want to do well in the stock market, you want to get a hold of someone who doesn't have a lot of emo- less emotional connection. Um, ego can get in the way of a good decision because just imagine a time, you know, you, you're afraid of losing, like you've put so much in, um, and you're afraid that you might like, Oh, I don't want to lose everything I've put in. Like maybe you've tried something for several years and you're thinking, can I quit now? You know, <laughs> I've invested so much. So ego can get in the way. Um, definitely, uh, not wanting our ego bruised publicly can really lead us to make poor decisions and emotion can get in the way um, of, of, because the emotional center of our brain and the rational center, of our brain are different centers and they, they func- they don't function at the same time. So we want to get out of that emotion. And so that's another thing that my tool solves for anything to add on there, Jonathan. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI press bluer than indigo leadership the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader early in my adult life i learned about an asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo if you think about the color indigo it is a brilliant deep and vibrant blue what some would call the bluest of blues to have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable contrary to popular myth There is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Oh, I, again, that's human nature. I think we all have to struggle with the ego component. Uh, and we all like to think of ourselves as smart, intelligent people making good, wise decisions. And so when, when it turns out we're actually allowing our biases to influence our decision-making or we're being overly, you know, uh, reactive in a particular emotional situation, we don't want to hear that we're being biased. We don't want to hear that we're not making a wise decision. And so that's a really hard thing for people to grapple with. And it's why so many really poor decisions are made by people who are, they don't even recognize or realize that they're making an ego-based decision um, that ultimately is driven more by their own self-interest than really, you know, what's going to benefit their team or whatever. And it's not because they have bad intentions or malicious intent, 
but it, it is this human nature element that we, we tend um, to just get sucked into over and over and over again, if we're really not careful, if we're not really thoughtful and self-reflective about how we interface with those types of complex decisions. Uh, you know, it really is a problem for almost everybody. And, and unless we can uh, learn to recognize it, uh, we're going to continue to perpetuate it and to make those same mistakes over and over and over again. Exactly. So, which is why you're going to all leave here with a tool that you can start using to start making better decisions um, that will help you spot this in yourself. And I think, you know, that ego piece, what's interesting, because the word ego, it sounds like it's for the person using it, but it's actually getting in the way of your wisest future. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, I mean, I've seen people not throw themselves all into their business because they're afraid, well, what if they get it wrong? But by not throwing themselves all into their business, um, they'll never get it right. And so they end up struggling for years um, because of that sort of embarrassment, their ego will be crushed. Or, I mean, something, I help a lot of new people start businesses, but sometimes people have been at them for 10 years and struggling and not making it, but they're like, no, I can figure this out. And I'm going to admit that was me. I was this smart consultant who built businesses. So when I built my own expertise-based business, I thought, well, I should be able to do it myself. And my ego kept me from getting top caliber help for a long time. So I will come clean, guys. (laughs) I've done this. Um, And then when you finally realize what's so wrong with getting help, you know, so that's um, just, just to be aware of that ego and emotion piece. Um, and then the final one, and I'll keep this one short because this will lead us right into the tool, lack of alignment. So I can't tell you how many people, I mean, whether it was in my past where I did strategy and vision facilitation for companies or taught in executive ed or my current, where I'm helping people design their ideal businesses, um, lack of alignment. People say, should I do this or that? And I'm like, okay, well, what's the outcome that you want? I don't know. Okay. That, yeah, we're going to need to know that. To If we're trying to make a decision to get to a place, then we're going to really need to know what that alignment is. And so again, listeners, as you think about the decision that you're, that's currently on your mind, anything that you've been trying to figure out for more than a week, um, then I really want you to think about what does the ideal outcome, maybe give that a few weeks of your attention and then come back to the decision after you know what you want the future to look like. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. And maybe in our last bit of time together today, we can talk about your ABCD acronym, your ABC decisions, um, kind of an approach and tool to uh, to making wise and, and, and productive decisions. Let's do it. All right, get your pens out. Here we go. A, I'll just quickly go through them and then I'll give you some context and and enable you to just jump right in and start using it. Uh, A stands for align, align to what you want. B, B stands for broaden your options. I'll give you some tools in a second for that. C, C stands for uh, compare contenders. This is the one that's going to replace that dastardly pros and cons list. And D, uh, detach and then decide. Okay, so here we go. A, finding alignment. 
I like to look for long-term and short-term alignment. Usually there's a push-pull between short-term and long-term goals in our lives, right? Like long-term, you know, where do you want to be? What do you want uh, your world to look like? Maybe you're thinking about retirement, who knows? Um, So you might want to think long-term about where are you trying to get? But then there's often some short-term immediacy issues that need to be addressed. So I, if you're thinking about this from an organizational context, then perhaps you'd think uh, the long-term goals you might replace with the company vision, okay, um, and the company strategy. And then short-term goals, you might, uh, you might think about your KPIs for that quarter, you know. And so that's how I would do that on the organizational context. On the personal context, I would think about, you know, what do I want for my my family and my life, you know, 10 years from now. And, and then what's, what's, what's this year look like to get me there. So you might think about questions as simple as, you know, um, what, and then on top of that, you can build what makes you happy. What values do you want to uphold in, in the outcome? Um, what do you need short-term? What do you desire long-term and uh, what's your ultimate goal at this moment that's in context of everything else. So that's what I would do with finding alignment and really starting there can illuminate so, so much. Uh, B, broaden your options. I'm so excited about sharing this because this is how we get out of that, those questions. You know, should I do this or not? You know, okay, no, 50% failure. Don't do that anymore. Should I do this or that? No. Still only uh, 33% of those are going to work. So here's what you're going to do instead. Try the end game. Can I do this and that? I'm just thinking about, I just saw on the news, <laughs> some. there's people, you know, who have two full-time jobs. <laughs> Can I do this job and this job? Um, that's sort of a thing during COVID. Uh, there's also door number three. So a big one I like, um, that I, I use in organizations, people like, can I do this or that? And I'm like, and behind door number three is there's that line, right? There's those people who believe that, um, uh, in two options, right. And then there's those people who don't basically this dichotomy thinking is, is ridiculous. There are almost always more than this or that. So always look for that door number three. If there was a door number three, not necessarily an and, but if there was a a whole new door, what would that door be? And actually increasing things to three options, whether it's you're hiring somebody, whether you're choosing between jobs, whether you're choosing between cities, that is one of the greatest multipliers of, of wise outcomes. So if, um, if, even hiring three people for the same job and then testing them and picking the best. Anytime you're looking at three options, you're dramatically increasing your likelihood of a wise decision. That's one I'm really going to encourage. Then the final one that I really am so excited about when you get so fixated on something, you're like, I can't chill. I can't think of and, and I can't think of another thing. And you just really cemented. And that means you got some very huge biases going on and you know, oh no, I don't want these biases to get me. Then what I want you to do is use the vanishing options game. You think about, well, what if this option were not a possibility? What would I do then? And just take that thing that you're in love with off the table and ask yourself where you'd go. That is like a really great mind opener. It can be really hard because typically if you are stuck on that one option, you got some serious biases happening. So try that vanishing options. Those are amazing um, tips and and wit framings for how we can go about making better decisions and how we can sidestep some of those those typical kind of human nature elements that we've already been talking about earlier in the conversation. Uh, so I think those are fantastic.
Awesome. Okay. And those, when you set up to win, right? When you, when you start well, you end well. So A and B are really critical. And once you have done that, making the decision becomes immensely easier. I mean, when imagine you're, oh, and when I say come up with three options, I, I do need to add, come up with three good options. You do not say crummy option number one, crummy option number two, and a good option number three. No, that's not coming up with three options. That's coming up with one option. So to do that properly, you actually come up with three options so good you could, you're really struggling to decide because they're all wonderful. And if you push yourself to do that, first of all, you'd broaden your thinking, you'd open your mind, you'd look for things you hadn't seen before and new possibilities will emerge. I can tell you by doing this with executives, I can do that with entrepreneurs. I've done this for years and the possibilities that arise from those two steps are nothing short of staggering. I can't wait till you try them. Um, now C compare contenders. Okay. No more pros and cons. What do you do instead? Uh, the way to think about this is you compare contenders. Of course, you have to compare to what you need to compare to what you're aligning to. So go back to those things you're aligning to and, and pretend you're a lawyer and pretend you're a lawyer defending each decision equally and defend each of those decisions against what you're aligning to, whether it's that long-term company strategy and your short-term KPIs or your long-term family plans and your short-term decisions, go ahead and look at each decision and make a case why it's the best. Don't try to think about which one is the worst. The winner will emerge very clearly, and it will most certainly be something you hadn't considered before. And then finally, detach and decide. This is where don't make any decision from any place of heated. And the thing, the thing that comes to mind is like, you know, maybe your boss got mad at you and you're like, you're reactive um, or you didn't get the promotion or your idea wasn't um, embraced and it was the best one, whatever it is. I, I really encourage you to find a place of peace around that before acting because uh, emotional decisions can 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 be harmful to you. So you really want to get to a place where you have this detachment. I like to think about like, what advice would I give a friend? And then uh, what I really, really want you to get to once you're detached, the one decision I want you to ask yourself before you make your final decision is, would I do this even if it didn't work out? That's when you know you've gone through the rigor of making a wise decision, when you can say, yeah. And I'll give you an example. There was a point at which my new business was really not working. I was a successful consultant. And then I tried to, you know, go online and before COVID and everybody was online and I, and I struggled and my business wasn't doing that well in the beginning. And I was confused because I had helped create tens of millions of dollars of value for clients. And there I was not doing it for myself. So it was like, do I give up and go back to being a consultant or do I, you know, keep going? And then I thought, well, what's the difference between how I've treated my clients and why they've been so successful and how I'm treating myself? And I, and I realized that I hadn't been acting as if I a hundred percent believed in myself. I was, I was, I was, I was holding back. I had another bias, zero risk, <laughs> the zero risk bias of putting myself out there. And then at one point I had to throw a whole bunch of money of working with top coaches, like a staggering amount of money. I won't even mention here because I just decided to work with the best of the best. And, um, and then I thought, what did I do this, even if it didn't work out? And I thought, you know what? Yeah, because I, 
I just had a calling in me to start the business that I started. And even if it failed, I had to know I really tried. And so I knew it was a wise decision um, at that point. And it turned out to be very good. And my business has flourished since then. So it took me really having that kind of clarity. Yeah, I love that. I love that example. I love I love your acronym. Uh, I think that's super helpful. You know, one of the things I teach at the university is ethical decision-making. And so why is decision-making, you know, we don't necessarily need to frame it the same way as moral or ethical decision-making, but much of what uh, you shared is really exactly the types of things I try to help students and executives think through. Um, black and white thinking dichotomous thinking almost is never helpful because the world is more messy and complex than that. And so we have to be thinking about intended and unintended, unintended consequences. We need to think about stakeholders. We need to think about a range of options. We need to be creative in our decision-making and all of those things can lead to making better, ultimately better, wiser, more ethical and morally um, consistent with our values decisions um, that we can feel comfortable with, that we can sleep at night uh, that we know uh, that we didn't uh, exploit our people or in some way negatively impact people. Um, you know, when we're in messy situations and we have to make decisions that impact people's lives, there will be people sometimes that get hurt by the decisions that we make. And so we have to feel comfortable enough with whatever we ultimately decide to do uh, that we can live with that. And, and if we're not asking ourselves that question, I worry about the leader because I think that that's something we should be wrestling with. And if we're not, then we're probably being a little bit too cavalier with, with how we're making these really impactful decisions. I love that you brought that up because that does bring me back to my organizational days. And I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, the, uh, um, I have a master's in leadership and developed leaders for a while. And you, you just brought me back there. I just went like for a tour and you're so right uh, to point that out because specifically as a leader, the challenge of decision-making is tenfold um, because it's very hard as a leader to make decisions that will make everyone happy. Um, But what we need to do, in my opinion, is protect as you know, as many people as we can. And the that would be coming down to finding your alignment. What are the organizational values? How do I protect the many? Um, that it new levels of nuance come in for sure uh, for leaders. Um, and then definitely what values do you want to uphold? Um become critical. And that almost becomes a, when values are well done in an organization, they trump anything. They trump vision, they trump KPIs, they trump absolutely everything in terms of priority, uh, in terms of how I've worked with them in the past, um, because we, we have to honor that. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said, Jill. It has been a pleasure. I know at the time uh, I probably kept you long and I need to let you go. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Really enjoyed our chat. Uh, Any of you. There's probably two things. Any of you who want to learn the whole ABC decisions tool and I will offer to you. free of charge. I can do that at www.boom.com forward slash HCI for human capital innovations. And please use the promo code HCI to get 
the entire price off. I will uh, discount it to zero for you, a free gift for listening. And if any of you are interested in making the decision of starting a new business, and if you've been wondering uh, what you should do there, I also invite you to come through my that same link, www.boom-u.com, and uh, you can grab a copy of my book, It's Go Time, as well. That might help you uh, illuminate whether or not entrepreneurship is for you or isn't. And I will closing off with... A, B, C decisions align to what you want, broaden your options, compare contenders, fight for each one and detach before you decide. I love it, Jill. Wonderful. Thank you so much for all of your wonderful insights. I really appreciate it and your time. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Jill can do for you. Check out the free gift. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.